Welcome to Otaku Brothers, your friendly neighborhood gaming podcast featuring Rusty and Ryan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 136 of Otaku Brothers. My name is Rusty, and as always, I'm joined by my forever co-host and brother-in-law, Ryan, I don't even need to ask. I know you're a happy man right now. I'm very happy. Yeah, so last time we recorded, it was Lauren and I. Um, so welcome back after your sabbatical. And uh, since the last podcast two weeks ago, I've played two great games, which we are going to talk about today. One of which you've already finished, which is wild to me. I did. I know life the game, and it's. I didn't rush through it. I have maybe 10 or 12 hours. took me 42 hours to beat. 10 of which is probably me screwing around, so Mm, mm. definitely enjoyed my time. Excellent. Well, we've definitely got quite a bit to talk about here on Otaku Brothers. Welcome in if you're a new listener or if you're a reoccurring listener of the show. Ryan and I talk about a whole assortment of things. We normally kick off the show talking about any you know, relevant updates to our life that we want to bring to the show, bring to light. And then we talk about each and every episode, the games that we have been playing recently. And there are two very crispy hot releases right out of the game development oven. We've got Horizon Forbidden West yes, and Elden Ring, FromSoft's newest game. We are super excited to talk about both of them. Ryan's played each pretty extensively. I've only played uh, Horizon Forbidden West for the most part, but we'll get into all of that and then some. So, as you said, Lauren, my wife, your sister, recently joined you on the podcast, which will probably be a reoccurring thing um, here in the next several months. I'll probably just jump right into my kind of life updates, if you don't mind, just because uh, this week, actually, I'm starting a new little educational journey. Uh, it's a 30-week program for cybersecurity. So because of that, and I'll be rotating out and changing jobs, I finally got a date. Thank goodness. Cool. April 25th. Still have no idea what department I'm going to, uh, which is a little unsettling, to say the very least. But um, excited nonetheless. But the long and short of that is that there is a lot of life change going on for me. And because of that, I needed to take a little bit of a break from the podcast, but I still wanted to get some Otaku Brothers episodes uh, queued up and recorded for all of the good people out there. And I'm sure you still want to keep recording the podcast Yeah, over I'm the next down. 30 weeks. So you and Lauren will continue to record episodes. What the cadence will be, I think it's still a little undecided. Maybe when you guys just kind of get the itch to hop behind the microphones. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how often you'll be available or not, like, dead tired from your weeks and studying and all that jazz. I know with your master's, you were, like, I wouldn't run into a tree driving home from work. So, if that's how you're feeling, maybe every other, every second we have you on, Mm -hmm. or every third, we'll we'll see. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Um, So, yeah, it it should be good stuff. We're still going to have episodes planned in the many months to come. So, stay tuned for all of that fun stuff. So... Another interesting thing happened to me and Lauren, the both of us, this week. So you haven't really um, understood the highs and lows that comes with home ownership yet. No, I've I've secondhand heard shit from you, and it sounds awful. (laughs) At least the what you're dealing with in this house, but yeah. So you know, Lauren and I, just for context for the listeners, we bought a house about a year and a half ago. And, you know, we were in a one bedroom apartment for as long as we had been married and, 
really at the peak of the pandemic, um, about after about eight months of the pandemic, we were losing our minds in a one-bedroom apartment, as many people were in, under quarantine. I, uh, mean, yeah, I, I can second that. Yeah, you couldn't go anywhere, really do much, but play Xenoblade Chronicles so, um, <laughs> and, and Animal Crossing New Horizons. But, so many hours were played. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, so we were kind of going nuts and we started looking at the housing market. We bought a house and it was one of those things that we, we hadn't had a lot of experience with. And it was also something that we didn't want to bring all of the parents' opinions in on because if we did... You know, you just... It'll ruin the experience. It will. Especially like, with my parents. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. Yeah, but. I can. They, they're opinionated, but they have your best will, or your best, the best for you in mind. Best interest in mind. Best interest. Yeah, for Thank sure. You. And so we bought the house and we didn't take a magnifying glass to every square inch of it because we were like, hey, anything is better than our current living situation, mm-hmm. right? Let's just live in or buy the first house that doesn't sell within the first couple of hours of being listed. So we bought the house and, you know, over the next couple months, things were all fine and dandy. And then the band-aids kind of started coming off from the previous owner and we yeah. got a more realistic idea of the house that we had purchased. So a lot of unanticipated stuff and maintenance and repairs that we had to kind of take ownership of at that point because we were the new homeowners. And more recently, I would say the past like eight to 10 months, there's a couple of areas around the house where there's cracks in the drywall. Mm -hmm. And we thought it was a foundational issue because we had some foundation problems when we had moved in. We fixed those problems. Nothing like you know, deal breaking just the tree stuff, right? Yeah. There were some large trees. The roots had caused some kind of um, problems. They didn't really have a lot of great foundational support. So we inputted, we ended up um, having someone come in and put these beams in. So we thought that problem was all fine and well. And some of the cracks that we were experiencing were just um, as a result of the previous owner kind of painting over things. And because we kind of, checked ourselves with the foundation stuff we were going to be okay with the cracks well we also have skylights in our kitchen we have lofted ceilings right when you walk into kind of our main living area space and for the past i would say more so started last fall we had some leaking going on through those skylights not a big deal we were like okay we we got we got those quoted to get repaired and fixed and replaced and that was too expensive, uh, unexpensed that we wanted to clear at that point. Because is we, that like replacing the entire roof or is that just specific spot fixing leaks? Specifically just the outer side of those skylights, the windows themselves, okay. replacing the wood, all of that was going to run us a couple, couple grand. But the person that quoted us said, hey, um, it looks like your roof is going to need to be replaced here in the next like three to six years probably better to just loop that expense into the roof repair because once you do that you clear it all at once as opposed to paying two separate expenses at two different times right Mm -hmm. Uh, and you can probably almost get like a bulk discount yeah by doing both at the same time so we're like okay we can hold off we'll get a bucket out not a big deal we can live with this leak in the skylight so fortunately for me uh, i have been working from home for a while now well i guess most people have been but i'm not forced to go into the office yeah um, I can if I want to, but because of the commute, I can get all my work done at home. I, I choose not to mo- more often than not. So anyways, I'm working the other day. I think it was Monday or Tuesday. We were getting a tremendous amount of rain here in the Midwest. Yeah. And it was just monsooning nonstop hours at a time. And of course, 
leaking was going on with the skylights. I came downstairs to kind of heat up a cup of coffee, went to the restroom, and we have a first floor um, master bedroom. So I I thought I heard like the subtle sound of water dripping when I went to the, the restroom. And I like, I was like, I just need to check out what's going on in here. Mm-hmm. So I went into our bedroom and we have a window right when you walk in and there was water coming down from the ceiling and the cracks, the small cracks in the drywall that were there before were now like two and a half feet long. Oh shit. So the cracks had gotten worse. Water was seeping through. I went outside and saw an area on the siding of the house where it looks like there was at some point someone put some kind of like, um, I don't know. uh, Spackle or. Exactly. Something like that to, um, correct or seal some type of crack that was going on. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's probably where the rain is coming in. But the long and short of it is Lauren and I have some pretty significant repairs coming real soon. So yeah, both with the roof, the skylight, the siding. So uh, the joys of homeownership, my friends. Yeah. I, uh, as much as I'm looking forward to like having a house and like having my own kind of space that I own, um, the way you talk about it, it's uh, <laughs> I can hold off a little bit. Yeah. 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 So all of that aside, there's one other thing I wanted to highlight for my week this um, over the past couple of weeks that I've not been on the show that I'm really, really excited about. So as some people that are listening might know, you're well aware, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Back when the, the, the peak of the pandemic happened, I started streaming on Twitch Yes. You know, many people were looking for just an extra hobby to kind of pass the time while we were all under quarantine. And the one that I decided to pick up outside or in addition to our podcast Mm -hmm. was streaming on Twitch. And so I started doing that for a while. Then I was running into a lot of issues with audio and um, the laptop I was using and just the space I was in in that one bedroom apartment was never conducive to Twitch streaming. Yeah. And I mean, if you think the audio on this podcasting, you like your anal retentiveness is anything you were having like four hours of prep to like lead up to make sure everything was right yeah it was it, it was not a, healthy yeah so. wasn't good so anyways one of the things that i wanted to do at the tail end of that was this project where i'd go to my backloggery account which if you're not familiar with backloggery.com it is a site where you can kind of track and chronicle your game collection and i wanted to you know use twitch as a platform to do that in real time in front of an audience listen to some chill tunes and just kind of tell fun stories about the games in my collection what they mean to me tell stories about playing particular games in the n64 my childhood the ps2 you know a whole assortment of things that would have stemmed from that video series but you know like i said in this project that I'm going to get to here very shortly, uh, I never want to come to something without coming to that project with my full self. The energy, the enthusiasm, um, the creative sparks that I feel I need to personally have going before we hop behind behind the mics and record a podcast, which is exactly why I'm stepping away while I'm doing my um, studying stuff because I don't feel like I can do the prep and the editing and the this and the that and be my full self on the show. Yeah. I right? mean, ultimately, this is a podcast for us, and mm-hmm. it should be bringing us joy and all that jazz. So. Yeah. 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 So I, I kind of tabled that idea for Twitch, 
And I still really wanted to do it. And especially with my program starting soon, I wanted to have that creative outlet because this program is literally like SQL, learning Python, coding, a lot of software development type stuff, like pretty dry. It's very dry. To put it, (laughs) you know, lightly. And so I'm going to need something to kind of step away from the books, put down the pencils and talk about something that I still love which is video games. And so I, at the time of this recording, have upda- uploaded a introductory video for what I'm kind of self-describing as rebooting the backlog, updating the game collection in real time on backloggery. And the first episode is now up on my YouTube channel, Ari Lewis 2011. So go check it out if that's your thing. I played chill beats in the background. I walked through for this introductory episode, kind of just explaining what the vision of this project and video series is going to be about, but I also walked through my homepage and kind of revisited some old thoughts, including the top 10 games of all time of what I think I had written when I was about 18, 19, 20 years old. So it was just fun to revisit that, uh, laugh about it, and just have some fun kind of discussing it. And I think you watched it. Yeah, I watched it last night. It's a really good watch. And I didn't pay you. I didn't slip you a $20 bill right now to say that. You slip me a check, but it's it's all right. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I was listening to that as I was uh, playing some Elden Ring last night. And uh, yeah, it was I'm glad you're getting back into it. Cool. Well, thank you. And uh, yeah, not forcing anyone to check that out. But if that's your kind of thing, it's meant to be something that's super chill and relaxing that you can kind of just throw in the background while you're playing a game, browsing the Internet, you know, kind of coming down from a long and stressful day. Uh, It's intentionally that chill and relaxing kind of vibe, if you will. So check it out if that's your thing. But if not, no big deal, because you're listening to this podcast, and I really appreciate that too. Yes. But Ryan, that's enough about me. I've been jabbering about a whole bunch of stuff. How you been doing? Doing all right. I mean, nothing, I mean, super different from when we spoke two weeks ago with Lauren. Um, I mean, you have more life changes in the last like month and a half. It's been a while since you've been on. Yeah, it has Um, been. Yeah. For me, there's just one main irritation. So, oh like, usually I watch YouTube videos on my PlayStation um, just for entertainment, background music. If I'm, like, uh, cleaning, cleaning working like, working, I have some, like, just chill music on. Yeah, makes sense. They changed it. So, specifically, YouTube on the PlayStation has, like, ten times the amount of ads mm. that on your computer does. So I watched like a 10 minute video of this UK dude building a cool tunnel around his property. There were nine ads of 15 seconds each unskippable. Oh, no. And I rewatched it because I'm like, that's insane because it's I watched a minute of content and then I have 30 seconds of ads. I'm like, it shouldn't be like two thirds ads or like content and then one third ads. Um, just for a sanity check, I went to the U- like YouTube on my computer, and there was like two ads at the start for 15 mm. seconds each. And I'm like, I don't know if PlayStation's getting a cut of this, or like, is the YouTuber specifically... I don't know how YouTube works. Do you like put ads in specific places on your video? I think there is a way to do that. Um, so I experienced something a little similar to you when I was kind of prepping, I think, Thursday night. No, because I recorded... I recorded the video Friday night. Maybe it was Thursday night. I can't remember the dates and the things that I did things. Yeah, you recorded for your video Friday. Yeah. We were supposed to record 
I thought you were recording Saturday. Yeah, so obviously I wanted to do some testing and figure out how the heck is this going to work because I haven't used OBS in like a year and a half. Um, fortunately, it was super quick and easy. It took me like 20 minutes to figure That's it all good. out. But anyways, all of that aside, in order to have chill music in the background, you know, I have this lo-fi music playing, so it's super mellow and chill. The last thing I want is someone to talk about Hello Fresh at like some... Rid- <laughs> do you want Sasquatch soap? <laughs> some ridiculous... <laughs> volume impromptu like kind of thing to pop in while i'm doing this video so i ended up signing up for youtube premium okay and i got three months free so maybe something for you to check out and then it's like i think 11 or 12 dollars a month after the fact but i mean for some people 11 12 months like that's why i pay for spotify because i hated not being able to make my own playlist not being able to skip songs not you know listening to ads (laughs) drove me nuts for you, who's always on YouTube, yeah, might be a worthwhile investment. But the problem is, like, I get that, but it's only on PlayStation, which is the irritating thing. Like, yeah. if it was on all platforms, yeah, I'd consider it or make a bunch of accounts and just hop from three-month free subscription to three months. You can still do that. Yeah, but it's just so irritating because that's, like, the main thing that I have up if I'm, like, cooking or doing anything mm-hmm. that, like, I have – half the time I have to have my controller with me like as I venture around my apartment because I'm like trying to skip ads. Yeah. And then they do the sketchy bullshit where they're like an ad is they have the little like six seconds until you can skip, but the ad's six seconds. So you have to watch the entire fucking ad. Mm. It's first world problems are the worst. Okay, dude. well top three. What were your top three ads? Let's hear them. Uh there was let's see. Because sometimes, I will tell you, there are sometimes an ad pops up and I'm like, fuck this. And I'm like, oh, wow, Hans Zimmer's here to talk about how he creates music. Let's listen to this. No, there's none of that. I mean, there was the trailer for the new movie with like the aliens and like the horses. Sounds like every other movie plot in the past 20 years. Who was the guy who made Get Out? Oh, uh, Jordan Peele. Yeah, whatever that new movie is. It's one word, like nope. Is it nope? (laughs) Sounds about right. (laughs) Yeah, something like, I think it's nope. Um. I, I see that one, and that's fine. It's like two and a half minute trailer, so I can skip that. That's mm-hmm. nice. There's one of a dad and like his kid uh, eating pancakes. That's nice. That sounds. I don't know what it's for. Pretty wholesome. But there's that, and then there is usually Sasquatch soap. Like, are are you not a man? Do you like Star Wars? Star Wars soap? Like, my man can smell better than your man. And I'm like, ah, dude, I'm trying to make eggs and just watch things about Elden Ring and Horizon. Like. I want some legendary weapons, not fucking soap. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't care. I want a Death Seeker bow so I can kill some machines. Yeah, don't we all? Don't yeah. we all? So, my life's hard. Yeah. So, that that's my biggest problem right now. It's just a, a hindrance to enjoyment. Well, if that's the worst thing you got going on, Ryan. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm doing cool. You've been pretty fine. damn well. Yeah, these yeah. last two weeks were fine. It's just, it seems like a very, like, since last, maybe... I think even just this last week, the change kind of went into effect. So it's a big, irritating change for me. But yeah, it's not house. My roof is collapsing. <laughs> There's leaks everywhere and we've got asbestos. <laughs> I know the issues. It's like, hey, I have to watch seven seconds of ads every once in a while. Oh, my god! Because gosh. I want to watch a video. Well, I'll check in on you tomorrow to make sure you're okay, because that's pretty rough. Yeah, please, dude. Do like home visits <laughs> just like curled up in a ball there's like four hours of ads playing on like on my tv oh, man. yeah so 
That's my week. Well, let's switch to bigger and better <laughs> things. So earlier in the week, I got word that there was going to be a uh, Pokemon live stream on Sunday here, the day that we're recording. It's February 26th, 27th, 26th. You said Star Wars. Now I'm thinking. Yeah, no, it's cool. There's Sith everywhere. Yeah. February 27th, 2022. Uh, earlier this morning, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard. Yeah, no, I was planning to come over here at 9 just to record, and you're like, hey, can you be here at 9? Make sure you're here at 9, because there's a Pokemon thing. And I was like, is there, though? Because 9 a.m. is, like, on a Sunday, nonetheless, is, like, the most obscure time. Like, mm-hmm. usually it's 4 o'clock on, like, a Thursday. Well, and so, I don't I don't know, yeah, why, but this date, I believe, Corona's Correction Corner, if I'm wrong... You can write it into Otaki Brothers Podcast at gmail.com. Anytime Ryan and I get something wrong, if you have a question for us or you want to just provide some constructive criticism, uh, we're not above reproach on this podcast. Not at all, because we're wrong a decent amount. Yeah, pretty often. <laughs> but I think 26 years ago this very day was when Pokemon, I think, Red and Green debuted in Japan. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. Then. And so that's why it's this Pokemon Celebration Day. And so this day last year if I'm not mistaken, was when Pokemon Arceus and Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl were announced. Okay. And then 9 a.m. is what? 8 o'clock? 8 p.m. Japan time? You'd know that better than I would. So on a Saturday night, right? So, yeah, it wouldn't be too off. It doesn't matter. Or it would be Sunday night, 8 p.m. So it it would be... You figure that out, draw it on a whiteboard and get back to us here in a couple minutes. What I'm going to do is talk about what was announced during this Pokemon event. So I was expecting the absolute worst. I was, you know, thinking that they're just going to talk about Pokemon Unite, some random puzzle game that you have to pay $10 an hour to play on your mobile device, and maybe some Arceus DLC later in the year. Yeah, I didn't have high expectations. I mean, they just launched Arceus. I mean, I don't see them doing DLC for the remakes because that's through a different studio. Um, I didn't really have high expectations, but yeah, we had, we got some cool stuff. Yeah, so I mean, they talked exactly what I kind of anticipated them to talk about for the first 10, 12 minutes, whatever it was, which was a bunch of mobile games, new Pokemon coming to Pokemon Unite. Uh, there's a software update for Arceus coming later this <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> I, I was like, this is a joke. They're literally yeah. going to end. Hey, we're fixing glitches, guys. Get hyped. <laughs> I was like, oh, what? Right. They literally are hosting an event. This guy got up in a suit early up in the morning to talk about a <laughs> software update for Pokemon I, th- I think they said there's like bigger, not raid battles, but like clusters of Pokemon around the world was like the update. But like the way it was proposed or presented, it, it came off like, hey. This is like 1.1.1 patch of we're fixing some glitches and some like visual stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So nothing so, too nothing crazy. Nothing hype worthy. And then, you know, with these types of conferences, Nintendo Directs, Xbox Showcase, PS or PlayStation, uh, what do they call them? State of Play. Yeah. We're always looking for the host to say, but wait, there's one more thing we want to talk Ba-ba. to you about. And so that's exactly what they kind of queued up for this. They go into this weird live action trailer of this uh this cop walking through this um hallway corporate building it almost looked like yeah it looked like they were in the game freak kind of headquarters building yeah Yeah. and you see the game freak logo and so i was like oh is this is this gonna be let's go you know tokopi and pichu well it's funny to think like one night they just i'm like it's like midnight 
got a film crew going and it's just one of the guys with the flashlight walking around their offices as they're filming yeah Yeah. and so this guy ends up walking into this room it almost looks like professor layton's study i don't or indiana jones you know yeah um, it's got a lot of different pokemon related stuff um and then shit starts freaking out like their clock starts spinning and then i'm like they went to a jirachi because jirachi's like the time pokemon i was like they could do something with that um, and yeah, we're thinking uh, silver version, let's go, or some other remake. But and then they some- went right into a trailer that looked somewhat like Pokemon Arceus. Also, kind of looked like Sword and Shield. Definitely looked like unlike anything that we'd seen to this point. It kind of looked like an amalgamation of a lot of those games. Yeah, and we were trying to pin down like architecture and. It's it looked way too big to be an expansion to Sword and Shield. Like I think the days of Sword and Shield are over, and that seems to be the case based off of the trailer. Yeah, and so Ryan and I were our minds were completely blown when they literally announced the ninth generation of Pokemon, Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet coming in late 2022. So I have an article here pulled up from IGN titled Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet announced for late 2022. This is by Adam Bankhurst. So bear with me as we read some of the details of this little article. The Pokemon Company has announced that Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, a brand new open world Pokemon adventure, will be released on Nintendo Switch in late 2022. Announced during Pokemon Day 2022's Pokemon Presents, Take a drink every time I say Pokemon. <laughs> These two new great Game Freak developed games will feature a new region and its three starters have already been revealed, which I about lost my shit when I saw these. The starters are great. At the beginning Besides of the game. the light and remaster. Yeah. At the uh, beginning of the game, trainers will need to choose between the grass cat. Oh, my. Sprigatito? Not getting him. Sprigatito. The Fire Crocodile, Fukoko, or the Water Duckling, Donald Duck, directly from <laughs> Kingdom Hearts. There's now a crossover. This is developed by Square Enix, by the way. Water Duckling, his actual name is Quaxley. My dude. That is my That is my new starter. It's. I mean, I love the first generation or the first evolution of Quaxley. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to wait because usually they throw off all gen- all three uh, evolutions because mm-hmm. a fire crocodile. Like, could you imagine a mixture between Quayla or Typhlosion and Fraligator? Oh, dude. Like, that would be fantastic. I'm here for it. So the article goes on. Pokemon Scarlet and Vi- Violet are an evolutionary step for the Pokemon franchise and feature an open world where various towns with no borders blend seamlessly into the wilderness. The Pokemon Company also notes that Pokemon can be seen everywhere in this wide open world, in the skies, in the sea, and on the streets. While we obviously don't know all the differences between the two versions, it has been revealed that trainers will have, quote, a different outfit depending on which game they're buying. So we're going to have to buy both, Ryan, at that point. Yeah, I think the name naming convention pisses me off. And this is only just because I know colors. But, like, Scarlet is red, like a dark red. And violet is a purple blue. And usually you think of like ruby and sapphire and then emeralds, the like third one. You would think violet would be the third one because it's purple. But I can't think of a good color blue that isn't like associated with other things. So like sky blue is light blue, but sky would be like ground the game. 
or like navy and like you'd have to get into military things like navy blue and just pissed off about dude i swear to our (laughs) lord if if i had you know professor phil uh what's her name whoever the magic school bus lady was if i had her phone number i would say hey let's take a trip to ryan's brain today because i want to know what the hell is going on in there well i'm just thinking of colors like color wise it doesn't make sense but i'm all for this well, I'm, I'm happy you're happy, dude. I, I'm just kind of still kind of coming to grips with whatever you were just saying about okay, colors. Okay, okay. No, Ryan, you're good. You don't need to tell me. You don't need to explain. We're good. We got you, it. First generation, you literally have red and you have blue and then you have green. You would think if they're doing red, they would do blue and they do either green or purple. They could still do Pokemon Grass version or something, you know? Okay. Or AstroTurf or something. <laughs> yeah. Different color green. Yeah, they. they, they I don't know uh, any of the tight colors like offsets of green, but well, when I think the the overwhelming response, and I don't know because I haven't checked Twitter at this point, but I, I, this seems pretty surprising that we got brilliant diamond shining pearl. I believe in November of last year. Not three months later, we get Pokemon Arceus, and we are already going to be getting the ninth generation Pokemon game. This seems crazy to me. No, it's a really quick turnaround. I mean. They didn't show any release dates. They didn't have any time frame. So, like, it's really open-ended. So, this could be a 24 game, for all we know. Um, It looks very much like Arceus. I like the progression of Sword and Shield, which was, like, open areas in selective portions of the map. And then they had Arceus, which is everywhere in the map, with, like, very little towns and things, which is more of, like, a monster hunter. Like, you go out to a specific biome, hunt the thing, and come back to your, like fire link or hometown and then for this one it's seem or the way they're in the article saying is seamless between going in and out of towns to open worlds in your paths so that was like the end game which is where we wanted it to go which is instead of having these very linear paths between towns like in sort of shield which was just jarring because there was tiny paths and it was so linear if they have giant paths between these towns, almost like Breath of the Wild or those open world games that do it well, that would be kind of what we were thinking of Pokemon in back when we were kids, mm-hmm. visualizing it. I'm just hoping either between now and Pokemon, they either up the graphics, the frame rates, they make improvements from the style that's been in the last two games, Arceus and Sword and Shield, going into this ninth gen. Because... Mm-hmm. It gives me hope for the 10th gen if they can start making improvements now honing in on a form a new formula gives me hope but they really need to have voice acting in this game well I don't think they're gonna have that but you know and also taking into account and I think Ryan and I are well aware of this that there are multiple development teams working on Pokemon snap versus the remakes like uh, Diamond and Pearl and Arceus I even with all of that and taking all of that into account, I still feel like this next game, Scarlet and Violet, is coming. Too soon might be a stretch, but I'm even going to say too soon following Arceus. Like, let Arceus breathe a little bit. I mean, right after Arceus comes out, we've got Horizon Forbidden West and we've got Elden Ring. I mean, everyone's like already tossed Arceus in the trash. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have announced. I would have probably pushed this direct a couple months. 
announced i mean the pokedex for arceus is like 243 or 246 or something like that so announce some more pokemon coming to the wild areas to complete your decks like new hunts a new biome dlc paid dlc or whatever I think they could ride out arceus for like the next year and a half easily and they might be doing that but they're crushing the hype with this game yeah but i don't know i'm i mean i'm i want it to be crystal clear i'm actually really excited for scarlet and violet I just feel like they're kind of doing Arceus dirty by announcing this. Yeah, no, completely. I'm I'm in the same boat. Um, I'm I'm more of a mainline Pokemon person. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been let down. What Sword and Shield, Sun and Moon what was the a Lola the one with the that was Sun and Moon. Was that yeah yeah the last two? What was the one with X and Y as well? I loved X and Y, but did you? Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know. I've been let down by the last three generations of mainline Pokemon game. I like where they're going. I'm hesitantly optimistic. Cautiously optimistic. Yeah, yeah. cautiously optimistic. Um, I'm hoping they blow it out of the water. And as we see new trailers, as we get closer, I I don't see this coming out this year. Mm -hmm. I, I see it coming out and maybe end of next year, best case. They say late 2022, and if Pokemon's anything, they're consistent with their release schedules, so I could see this hitting in 2022, but for the sake of Arceus and allowing that game to breathe, maybe getting DLC by the end of the year, I think it makes the most sense to push this, but we shall see. I'm sure we'll get more details, and I'm looking forward to hearing other folks' opinions about this because, like I said, Ryan and I literally watched this and hopped right behind the mic, so I've not really heard the public response to this announcement yet. Well, they could have easily had the Arceus team and this team working side by side. Like, not interchangeable, but like asset-wise, move-wise, because they changed up some of the animations in combat in Arceus Mm -hmm. from Sword and Shield, which is good. Um, So basically the transfer of assets between two teams, I could see it being a quicker turnaround but when did sword and shield come out that came out not too long ago i think that was 2019 maybe was it yeah i guess the last two years have flown by but yeah yeah no i'm excited so yeah more to come on this i'm sure ryan and i this is not the last time we'll be talking about it leading up to its release so let us know hop in the discord i know i popped in and posted kind of the announcement earlier this morning but i have not yet checked uh, what others have said about it. So continue the discussion in Discord, and I'm sure uh, Twitter is just blowing up right now because most it's Sunday morning. Most people are still sleeping, rolling out of bed, getting their coffee. I don't blame you. Who could have known that the ninth generation of Pokemon was going to be announced today? Wild stuff. Wild yeah, stuff. Not expected at all. But Ryan, we've already gone 35 minutes, and we haven't even gotten to the main topic of the show yet. So what do you say? We take a little bit of a break. And then we go into all things Horizon Forbidden West and Elden Ring. What are your thoughts? I'm so ready. I'm sure (laughs) you are. Let's get into it.
So Ryan, I think as we kick things off here in the main topic of the show, talking about our thoughts about some of the hottest new releases in video games here to kick off this year, we've got Horizon Forbidden West, yes, and we've got Elden Ring, FromSoft's latest release. I want to preface this conversation by saying that Ryan and I will be not going into any story-related spoilers. I know there's a lot of ambiguity when it comes to something like Elden Ring, but it's very easy to creep into spoiler territory when it comes to Horizon like El- Forbidden West. Yeah, like Elden Ring spoilers for me, at least having experienced it raw, is there's these type environments. I mean, with Miyazaki, you expect a swamp, but like saying going here, you get this type of environment and then talking about bosses and like that kind of stuff is spoilers to me. Yeah. So we will be, we will not be going into any of that stuff. Yes. We'll be keeping it pretty uh, specific to the mechanics, the world building, graphics, quality of life, just stuff that, you know, really stood out to us and is a highlight, but nothing related to story. So let's start with Horizon Forbidden West because you rolled credits earlier in the week. Yes. And so I want to hear very high level. What were your expectations going into this and coming away having rolled credits? Did it meet those expectations, exceed them? What do you think? Yeah, I mean... I think Horizon 1 or Zero Dawn coming at it. I mean, this game, I guess, franchise or new IP had everything I really like, which is kind of a post-apocalyptic world with that has kind of fallen into tribes, which is a very, I mean, we start out as tribes and slowly build civilizations. So we basically regressed and there's a lot of things we don't understand and we interpret it in weird ways. Um, and trying to understand what happened a thousand years before with, I guess, current day type civilizations that had robots. And now why are there roaming robots around the world? Mm-hmm. And I love all of that. And then you add in a great protagonist with Aloy and really fantastic weapons, of a big variety of weapons, and then solid, a solid feeling to each one of those weapons. They all have a lot of oomph behind them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, going into this one, I expected one for it to further the plot and then be up to the same quality. Yeah. Um, and then it's it's really hard to, I guess, compare the two because Zero Dawn had to establish in a new IP and establish the characters, the world, and uh, Forbidden West had to grow on that. Mm-hmm. And I think they did. I think they did a great job of both approaching the world in a different way way with like the variety and different environments it's still open world it's a big freaking world um and then they went uh they changed up kind of the formula of the story to further the lore that's already been established in the first game Mm -hmm. whether through all of the things around the environment um through the comics uh nintai posted a an hour and a half long lore video which i would definitely recommend you watching before going into forbidden west because it is, it's been like two, three years since the first one. So, for someone that wants to play the hottest, latest, and greatest game, do you think and hasn't played Zero Dawn? Do you think it's doable and worth it to skip Zero Dawn, watch that video, and jump into Forbidden West? No, no. You want to experience all of the characters you meet in the first game that transition into the f- second game. And why some of the dialogue they speak about in the second game referencing yeah. some of those events have such levity behind them. I would agree. I, I would you would lose so much. And there I mean, one of the my favorite things in this, which you didn't 
you wanted to kind of go through the main plot and I wanted to know everything about everything when it came to characters in my main kind of entourage. But you, you have these dialogue options if you want them. They're not required to kind of understand the characters, kind of further your relationships with them. It doesn't have any um, it doesn't change the plot, but you get to know how they feel, how they how they react to the first game events. Mm hmm. And so I, yeah, I think you would lose too much in kind of the oh shit moments in the first game and then understanding what your motivations are coming right into the start of the first, second game. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would tend to agree. So my expectations coming to this were pretty high. I didn't play Zero Dawn when it came out back in 2017. I think it was around 2019 that I ended up actually playing Zero Dawn to completion. I loved it. You had to push me a little bit to finally get around to playing this one. Yeah. Uh, Horizon, God of War. I, I've never been successful on Breath of the Wild, but I'm hoping maybe this year. I mean, I, I never want to start a game, especially something that big and has that much of a reputation behind it when I'm not in the mood to play it. Because as I'll get into here shortly, when I started Ghost of Tsushima two years ago it's crazy to think that that game came out in 2020 yeah i wasn't in the mood for that open world game that when it came out in july and i played it in november december of that year and it became my game of the year yeah i'm finding with forbidden west that it's really ebbed and flowed with me and i think it's less about the story it's less about the game itself and the gameplay and more that i'm just not in the mood for that type of game right now that's fair um but what's continuing to kind of push me forward uh, and kind of compel me to play this game to completion has been the story. Uh, and I'm really at this point in the game where I'm on like the final two missions. So we just had a pretty significant climax in the events that happened. And I feel like, okay, well, at this point, I can't stop playing the game. Yeah. You know, one of the things I, you know, in my notes here, I have a lot of positives. I have some negatives. Um, I'll start with the positives because some of those kind of bleed into my criticisms of the game. I don't think this game is is perfect in any way. If I had to associate a number with it, I'd probably land somewhere around an eight right now. Okay. Um, I don't really know where I was with Zero Dawn. Admittedly, having watched my wife, because she's now playing Zero Dawn for the very first time, uh, just graphically frame rate, um, the the weapon hit detection things like that they've significantly improved all of that in Forbidden West yeah because right before this and the re originally I wasn't going to play Horizon I was going to wait until after Eld Ring and then I think last two weekends ago like a week before Horizon came out I picked up Horizon One and I made a new save file on the PS5 and I was starting to go through that I mean you have the opening kind of more linear start to the first game, similar to the second, but you have that establishing plot and some of those missions where you're, you get to meet the main character, Aloy. And I'm like, I fucking love this game. Like the first one is great. I'm like, there's no way after remembering how the plot goes that I can't just pick it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that um, makes sense. And I'm glad you did play it. Cause I'm glad that we can kind of uh, ping pong the conversation here. But one of the things that I, I'm not sure I, I shared this sentiment, but I know a lot of criticisms I remember hearing about Zero Dawn was that it was just another open world game with little in the way of fun and interesting things to do outside of the main quest. I feel like they've you know corrected those wrongs um, with Forbidden West, maybe to its detriment for some people. And I would say 
partially myself included with that because this game to me feels like an Ubisoft game. This feels like a Far Cry open world. It feels like uh, a more recent Assassin's Creed Origins, Valhalla, and Odyssey open world where there's an insane number of icons. You have your outposts that you can take over. You have these things called ruins, which are basically these mini little Zelda Breath of the Wild shrines with puzzles. And if you solve the puzzle correctly, you find a fun little item. And then you have these rebel outposts that you can go take over. Uh, you have these cauldrons, which are like these really expansive, deep dungeons. I mean, think like really, you know, well-designed Zelda dungeons here. Yeah, totally, so totally. I feel like they've definitely built out the world in a significant way with a lot of interesting and fun things to do. When I say to its detriment, it's because for someone like myself who gets so easily distracted and right now I'm on a tight clock where my time is running out, where I don't, you know, my free time is running out with this program starting. Yeah. You have other releases that you want to play like Elden Ring. I found it difficult to beeline the story because there's just an overwhelming number of things to do in the game. Yeah, and I I don't think they've added anything from the first one. So they had cauldrons in the first one. They had... It, they're not like the rebel outposts like they are in the second. They had kind of like barbarian kind of outposts where you had a friend help you kind of infiltrate those. Um, they had the hunting grounds like they do in this one. I don't think they had they have like races in this one. And they have like arena in this one, which I don't think they had. Um, they have all the tall necks. I don't think they really added too much. Mm hmm. But whether you did that in the first game or not, I mean, I did ev literally everything in the first game. So it it might be better because you can go into your map and start unclicking icons to take it off your map. So that's those are all great points. And I, I, I'm glad because I knew that you had Zero Dawn more fresh than I did in your mind. And I think part of this, going back to my thoughts about... I don't know if I'm in the right mood to play this game right now. And I think that a lot of that has to do with open world fatigue. So for new listeners, people that haven't been listening in, in a little while, I put a uh, hundred hours into Assassin's Creed Valhalla between November and December. And then I immediately picked up Assassin's Creed Origins, put 60 hours into that in January oh, yeah. and platinumed it. So I'm kind of tired of running to all the icons in the map, 100%ing, doing all the side quests, taking out all the outposts, finding all the collectibles. And so when I went, go right into something like Horizon Forbidden West, I'm like, I just want the main course. I just want the story. I don't need all of this other stuff right now. Yeah, I don't see Elden Ring being good for you um, then right now at all. Uh, I mean, I... Because I was almost worried coming off of Horizon. I was thinking about it during the week as I was playing through it. I'm going from one open world game to another with Elden Ring. And Elden Ring is far larger in scale than Horizon. Like, at least for the exploration, there's less icons. But you have to find all the icons. They don't show you it. Um, yeah, if, if you want an accurate kind of score on Elden Ring, I would I would definitely punt that. Well, here's the thing. So with Horizon Forbidden West, it might sound like I'm, I'm very critical of it. I'm not having fun. I'm really enjoying my time. I just, I'm focusing on the main story and this other stuff I, I know I'm going to love. Like 
I yeah, like love... Spider-Man. You went back eventually and started doing all of the side stuff. Yeah, but like in Far Cry, I, I've recently said that the later Far Cry games I haven't liked because I feel like it's not clear on the map where those outposts are. Because you know me, I love getting my bow and arrow, my sniper rifle, stealthing my way around the, the outpost, taking every person out one by one. And the later Far Cry games kind of went away from that. And it, it just wasn't as clear on the map where those things were. And then I picked up something like Valhalla and Assassin's Creed Origins where all of that stuff was well marked on the map. I could go to each outpost, play the game I wanted to. And I feel like Horizon also has that stuff right yeah and i I'm, i feel a sense of obligation to do those things i'm just fatigued from doing that so i feel like once i complete the main story i'm not going to go for the platinum trophy and doing all of this stuff right away i'll put it down and i feel like in a similar way to ghost of tsushima when i come back to the game in you know three six eight months from now those things are going to click more i'm going to be more compelled to do the things you're doing running through and exhausting all the dialogue trees, talking to all the people, getting a greater sense of the world and the lore that's baked into the game. Because right now I'm just like, give me the main course. I don't really need all the appetizers right now. No, that's completely fine. I mean, I didn't even think about the Assassin's Creed game. I mean, 160 hours into open world, I, fuck, I would be fatigued. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think approaching Horizon with like a more linear approach like you're doing is completely... You don't lose, I mean, they explain a lot of the, I mean, all the plot is explained, at least in the main story, it's just the individual characters on trying to learn more about them, which granted, I was like making breakfast as I was clicking through things, talking to some of these like main characters, wanting to learn about them at like kind of main pivotal checkpoints before like main events in the story. Um, Yeah, it's not necessary at all. I, I would definitely take the approach of your two missions, maybe three hours from the end, mm-hmm. if that. Um, complete it and then do some. I would do like fucking a platformer. Do your clicking mayo games or no. like ukulele or something. But None like that. do something more linear so you don't get fatigued coming out of Horizon going into Elden Ring. Well, that's why I was. I again, there's. It's a great problem to have when you have this many blockbuster titles that you're interested in playing coming out in a year but when they're this close together is where i have i struggle because i didn't even really think about the open world games that i was playing leading into horizon and how that might impact my experience playing it but you know you have two giant open worlds like horizon forbidden west coming out within a week of each other i wish horizon or elden ring would have come out more around the may june july time frame because if one of them came out in February and then Kirby and the Forgotten Land comes out in March, a mm. terrific looking, happy go lucky 3D platformer on the Switch, and then we got something like Advance Wars in the spring or Triangle Strategy, kind of mixing up the mixing and matching up the genres yeah. a little bit, and then jumping into and feasting on another open world in the summer, like Horizon Forbidden West or Elden Ring, breaking it up would have been better because I mean, let's talk I mean, let's just talk about that. I mean, how many people in our Discord picked up Horizon Forbidden West and have dropped it midway through because they're just like, I, I need to play Elden Ring. I can't not I mean, get in most. on... <laughs> and, and that's what I didn't want to do because... and that, I mean, yeah. I mean, you can beat Horizon. I think the... I was watching a video and it was like 30, 35, and 40, depending on how slow you take it. Um, I mean, that's not a short game, especially in a week in yeah. the open world. And that's like 
not exploring anything. Um, and yeah, I, the problem is like you have a Japanese studio and you have a studio in the Netherlands. Like they're not in communication on like, especially when they announced it back in the game awards or whenever they announced like the release date for Elden Ring. Um, yeah, they're not in communication on like, hey, we shouldn't launch at this time. Well, that and they're not first party studios, right? I mean, if, if this was like a Ratchet and Clank and Horizon, they're not releasing in the same week of each other, right? Yeah. They're going to space those out. So it, that, it, is, that an, comes it, play it too. is unfortunate. And I'm afraid either one of them's going to get thrown under the bus when it comes to reviews based off of it's getting overshadowed. And it's most likely going to be Horizon, mm-hmm. uh, which is, it sucks because like, they improve a lot in the first from the first game, and I would rate it either a nine, like low to mid nineties for mm-hmm. me. Um, coming in fresh, and that's coming off of zero open worlds. Like I was playing Minecraft, which was building shit, and like just screw around games the first half of the year, knowing that like I want to go in fresh and like energized to play games. Well, and I feel bad for the team Gorilla who developed yeah. Horizon Forbidden West because the same thing happened to them with Zero Dawn in 2017. What did they compete with? When it was overshadowed by Breath of the Wild. Oh, damn. And so, yeah. you know, you look at those two games, Breath of the Wild is always going to win out. And coming towards the tail end of this year, we still have no idea what's coming out June and beyond. But yeah. if the Game Awards happen today... The talk is going to be Elden Ring, Elden Ring all day long. Yeah, and I mean, I would put Horizon up there with Elden Ring. Mm-hmm. When it came, comes for contenders, I think Elden Ring is going to win. I mean, coming off most anticipated game, like literally everyone just freaking out and breaking the internet for like a couple days. As much as Kim Kardashian's ass broke the internet that one time, like Elden Ring was a solid second. I must have been off the internet that day. Yeah, there was some like milk and I don't know, it was weird. It didn't break the internet for me. Yeah. But no, I I think it's unfortunate placement wise, but I, I think it's worth playing whether it's in the future to make it more enjoyable or whenever it kind of fits into your backlog of games. I think it's worth playing. Absolutely. Well, a couple of things I want to hit on too uh, that really have stood out to me. Uh, again, not having much of a recollection of the ins and outs of Zero Dawn, but I feel like the side quests from Forbidden West are incredible. Yeah. Much better. I feel like much more meaningful, fun to play, and consequential to the story and lore than they were in Zero Dawn. Um, there is one, I don't think I'm spoiling anything, I'm just going to name one of the machines and a person's name, and maybe it'll come to mind for you and others that have played the game, but the Bristleback mission yeah. in Olvond, that guy who was kind of just a dick in that one yeah, town. that town. Did you finish out that entire storyline? Yeah. Yeah, me too. It I, was so good. I Yeah, and there's a few others like that. Um, yeah, I was really happy. I was like, yeah, fuck you, guy. Yeah. <laughs> I was like... Yeah, eat a bag of dicks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really like that storyline. Um, and you kind of just stumble upon it. Like, I, because that's the first area before it kind of opens up the first. Exactly. So, like, the way that the map is kind of broken up is into four sections. You have, like, the first more linear section, and then you get, like, two thirds of it, which is, like, a big chunk of the map. And then you have, like, a fun, or, it's broken into fourths, so you have, like, basically the first fourth, which is more linear, which is where that mission starts. Dude, chill out with oh. the hand moving over there. <laughs> Sorry. <Good> God. <laughs> and then you have 
like half the game opens up and then you have like a final fourth in the later half of the game. And I finished that first fourth, like everything in the area, all mm-hmm. side missions. Cause I'm like, I care about these people. I care about how these people help these people. Cause this dude's a dick and I need to do something to him. I can't kill him because the game won't let me. I've shot a lot of arrows into him. Yeah. So like, let's see what happens. Yeah, I, I think there are really good side missions in here. Yeah, so that's been a highlight for me. I mean, again, I don't want to bring a positive and then bring it down with a negative. You know, having played something like The Witcher, uh, Mass Effect, games where uh, your choices and what you say really have an effect and, and impact uh, on the story and the events that take place. Another frustration I have with the dialogue wheels is when you have seven options to talk to the person only one is going to progress the story and you can just do that right away but when you say those other things it's not in any way impacting like if you say this they respond this way if you say this they respond that way and might die it's more just building out knowing the character more which is fine uh but i feel like you know having experience and having played something like the witcher 3 and going on these rabbit hole side quests that have sometimes more payoff and wild uh, scenarios and results than some of the main quests, you're not going to necessarily find that in Horizon, even though there's some really rich storytelling going on. Yeah, I, I think it does a disservice to compare to The Witcher. Like, they're completely different approaches to open world. They are, but I mean, I think it's it's fair to say, if you're giving me seven dialogue options to bring up the fact that there's no impact to people that may have not played the game, just knowing full well that you're building out the story more, but you can exhaust those dialogue tree options all day long. Nothing's going to happen to the story if you do that. Yeah, the main quest line. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they take more of a Skyrim approach where like the main mission is like a linear thing and then you have all the side missions. Yeah. With like the Dawn Guard. The Dawn Guard in their like... Uh, or the vampire stuff doesn't affect your going after the main dragon who's going to end the world, but it's just kind of like filling out the lore, mm-hmm. and it's more of that approach than like, yeah, it, it affects everything. And I mean, teach his own. I mm-hmm. mean, it's there's a lot of different approaches to open world. I haven't pay, played The Witcher, but I've heard that. I mean, you have so many different options. It's kind of like Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. Like those have more impact on the story compared to these my main complaint with all of the dialogue options is it didn't highlight which one progresses those the like talking with people like make one yellow and everything white because i wanted to hear all the dialogue options and then i'd accidentally click the one that progresses the story well there's like I, a little dot next to it i didn't see that yeah there's a dot next to the one because i know exactly which one to press every single time oh fuck well i didn't see the dots yeah and i was like I was talking to the one dude covered in white paint and I'm like, I want to know more about this. And then I click the one that is like, Hey, let's go off and do the mission now. And I'm like, fuck, I had two more things to learn about you, man. Like there's, it's always the bottom left corner dialogue tree. Dude, you, I I put 44 hours in this game. (laughs) I didn't know that. You're a pretty smart dude. I feel like you would have, I never, I never figured that out. No. All right. Well, well, that sucks. You learn something. I, well, usually it's like this one's the one that's a little bit off color. Um, damn it. Now I feel stupid. <laughs> well, and in your defense, I mean, oftentimes dialogue and text in games is super small. So you can't tell, you know, what's what, what, you know. So it's you, you know, don't need to defend me. I'm trying. <laughs> I appreciate you, it. You make it difficult sometimes. I, that one's 
Yeah, I never put two and two together, but I guess looking back, it has always been the bottom left one that kind of gets you out of conversations. Yeah. Well, well cool. One other thing <laughs> I wanted to bring up before kind of getting into more of my critiques of the game, and it should be no surprise because I, I typically have an ear for it, but I don't know how you could not have an ear for it when playing this game. The soundtrack is phenomenal first of all mm-hmm. i feel like in zero dawn it was really just that main aloy theme that stuck with me after the credits rolled yeah. but in this one it's far more prominent you have ambient nature sounds uh when exploring the world you hear birds chirping you hear bugs moving around you hear um the pigs making their pig sounds right <laughs> i mean yeah, you do i mean it really adds to that sense of immersion and just getting lost in the world that i feel like zero dawn maybe didn't have as much yeah and i this is kind of the first game i really played with headphones throughout the entire thing and like you get really immersed in the game almost to a fault with me like i disappeared for a week granted because i was trying to complete the game and it's a lot of hours but like yeah, it's surprising how much, like, I I tried after playing Elden Ring, at least for the first couple hours, with headphones on as well, and, like, you hear scratching behind you, and then I about shit bricks when something came through a door. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a totally different feel than, like, surround sound. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, the main theme, though, with the title scroll, kind of, uh, I love that new song. Mm-hmm. It's like Kingdom Hearts 3 type of like level of song. Oh, yeah. Well, someone was singing, right? Yeah, there was someone singing. Yeah. I don't know yeah. who it was, but it was really good. Yeah, no, I, the soundtrack <laughs> is definitely a standout in this game. Um, you know, I always point to, if there's ever a game that really immersed me in the world, the one I always point to is Skyrim. And that's not necessarily the world they build. It's the music that Jeremy Soule composes that really complements you getting lost. Yeah. And... I feel like whoever composed the soundtrack to Horizon Forbidden West, which I I feel bad for not even knowing the composer or group of composers that contributed music to the game, they do such a phenomenal job, um, you know, complimenting wandering around. No, I completely agree. Yeah, so. I, I explored a lot of the map, just kind of running around trying to get the tall necks to open up the map so I could see everything. And yeah, it's fantastic. Well, one other question I had for you before I kind of go into some of my criticisms is... How did you play the game? Because the skill tree that you have here, there's many different options. They kind of break it out, and I think, into six different categories. So you can really tell your, tailor your experience if you want to focus more on melee or if you want to focus more on using your bow and arrow. Yeah, so there's like warrior, which is your melee. They have traps, which is just putting down traps like explosive poison. There's like your archery kind of uh, bow hunter, I think is what it's called. Then there was a healing tree, which is more like collect more berries for healing and healing shit. And then the last one was like overrides. Related to machines. So what was your play style? Were you focused more melee, more bow and arrow? Were you a mix of the two? I didn't touch the override tree or the trap tree. Um, I was, I maxed out the hunter tree like almost immediately along with the help of, like, the healing tree a bit, just to get more boost on potions and things to survivability. And then I did a bit of the warrior tree just for... um, There was some stamina-related stuff for your concentration that I think were in that tree that I think came in handy. Mm. So that's how I played the game. Um, There's specific, like, endgame weapons that are... Or armors that are more tailored to, like, if you're better with trapping or you're better with concentration. 
So I was going more after like, I want to be able to slow motion this monster and pick off like key things on the monster. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of how I approached it. Okay. Yeah, and I was I was very similar. Um, I was more the survivor tree. I was, so I was doing a lot of the stealth skill things that you could add yes, and, and um, the hunter stuff. So I was very much, I mean, it should be no surprise when I whether I play Skyrim, Ghost of Tsushima, Assassin's Creed, any open world game, 99% of the time I'm going to be focusing my bow and arrow, my stealth, however I can play the game without anyone noticing me. That's what I tend to do. One of the criticisms that I have in getting into some of my critiques of the game is when we saw trailers for this game, it looked like some of that up close and personal combat stuff using your spear uh, was going to have significant improvements over Zero Dawn. And I think there are some, but I still feel like melee does nothing for me in this game. And that's probably because you didn't deck out that the tree, the, the far left tree with the warrior, because there's a lot of more complex combos that you can do when it comes to switching between R1, R2, like a light attack versus R2. Um, you can plant energy on the person based off of like an R2, which explodes, which causes a lot of damage. There's different, I think, elements like you can. I don't know if you ever used like your R1, which gave you like a special move. Like the thing that I used was like a face paint on Aloy, which gave me like four really powerful shots is kind of the skill I used. But there are skills within that warrior tree, which allows you to really power up the melee. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. So it, it's more going through on a melee build character or end game where you have everything unlocked that you would see that more functionality of melee. Yeah, I upgraded about 10 of the 27 skill trees. So I, I have a lot of those. Um, uh, what, what did you just call them? Upgrades? Yeah, I mean, just the different moves that you could do. Like when oh, you press R1 okay. three times, then you press R2. Like I have some of that. I don't know. It just doesn't really feel like satisfying it, combat to me. Yeah, it, I mean, it, I never really used it. I never felt powerful enough for me either. I also never figured out how to put energy on person. I know I unlocked it, but I never... Like you have to click R2 and at a specific time within a combo to build up energy on your sword and then to put it on someone before you could then hit it with a bow and really kind of gain those effects. But yeah, I, I've, I have the same kind of feel. Well, and I feel like when you play something like Horizon, you know, one of the things that you can do is you use this um, little device that you have on. It's like a little earpiece. It's called a focus. And so you scan these machines and you find the most vulnerable places on the machine that's going to hurt when you shoot arrows at them. And I cannot ever describe well how satisfying it is to in mid combat when they've been alerted and they're coming after you and you slow down time with your bow and arrow and you find that little vulnerable piece and you hit it just perfectly and the monster just explodes. <laughs> yeah. Like I know was it the billow guys, the ones with the the kind of sack of poison and the sack of poison on their back. Yeah. They're almost like exploding bugs. Like you hit one and it just like bursts into this ice like blizzard and you're like all right, it's frozen there. Let's fuck him up some more. You take out like his little neck sack and you're like, all right, <laughs> all right. And then it kills everything around it too because that explosion, like whether it's fire, ice, poison, I'm like, oh, it's so, it's really satisfying. Yeah, no, it, it really is. So um, yeah, the bow and arrow combat is still really, really well done. Um, you know, they have multiple different bows that do very different things and uh, all of that's been fun to experiment with. So Really good uh, on, on the um, the range combat side of things. 
let's get into some of the criticisms of this game, Ryan. Okay. I'm, I'm curious if you feel similarly with some of this stuff. Again, not having much context into how it was in Zero Dawn, but I don't remember it being very good. I'll start out with the worst criticism I have. Climbing is, I don't even want to say okay at best, but it is downright awful at worst. Uh, it's different than the first game. So the first game, I think my complaint for the first game at least, was all of the ledges that you can climb on had yellow like tape on them. So it really was jarring, kind of taking you out of the world. Because you're like, in the, I get there's like machines and old world stuff, but are all the cliffs really going to have yellow on there? Mm-hmm. Um, in this new game, it's you put your focus on the world if you want to be able to see it. If not, it's like completely just rock side. And you can see all of the strips you're able to climb on a yeah. little bit easier. I didn't have too many problems with it. I mean, there were some stupid inputs that I had when it was like, instead of there's like two jump buttons kind of yeah when you're on a wall there's like a jump off to go to something opposite of you or there was like a drop with square where you literally dropped off and like i know i screwed some of those up um overall i think it was i mean if around the same quality of the first game well, and talk about Just how different. Assassin's Creed and those other open world games impacted my experience a little bit with Forbidden West. I also just finished Uncharted 4 and um, The Lost Legacy as part of the Legacy of Thieves collection before jumping into this game, where anytime you come close to a ledge and accidentally start falling off, Nathan Drake or whoever, Chloe, grabs onto the ledge. Yeah. That never happens at Horizon. So for the number of times I've accidentally just like fucking jumped off a cliff... <laughs> or jumped off a machine, or jumped off of something I had no intentions of doing so, and then have to climb all the way back up. I just feel like the AI of grabbing onto the ledge feels like old school, like Assassin's Creed 2, where rarely did Ezio do what you wanted him to do. Yeah, I mean, if you... I feel like Uncharted is the peak of wall climbing. Like, if it's near perfect in my mind, especially like Uncharted 4, like the newer games... You have some jank in that where, like, you shouldn't have made it, but you gain more momentum in air and, like, you're flying, flying like, 40 feet straight in. You're like, I should be very dead. Like, I didn't make that one. And yeah, you're it's like, a video game. Yeah, whatever. It's like your magnet kind of cling to you. Exactly. And I I don't know if Horizon is more realistic where, like, or it's just bad AI. I don't know what the difference is, but it's not as crisp. I didn't feel it too much, but I could definitely see that being a complaint coming off of especially Uncharted. Yeah. So I played that a bit. I didn't, I played most of Uncharted 4 before this, and I can definitely see a difference. Well, and also, like again, I'm going to keep coming back to this comparison. Something like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, where you can literally climb anything at any time. So having these very specific areas that you can climb where I feel like you don't grab onto the ledges that you often try to climb onto, it can just be very kind of janky. That's the best way to describe it. It doesn't feel very tight, and I feel like could have used more. uh, I I think the difference is, like, when you're climbing buildings in Assassin's Creed, there's very distinct, more far apart things to cling into. Like, say you have, like, a five-foot gap, and there's one little keyhole that you go in between to get to the next major ledge unlike a building in uncharted it's or in horizon you're mostly climbing rock faces so if you actually like scan those rock faces there's so many more things to grab onto so like you're 
I think there's more room for error. Yeah. We're actually traversing it opposed to the limited amount of keyholds in like an Uncharted. Yeah, so if Horizon 3 ever comes a thing, I think that's definitely an area where they can improve upon. I mean, it's not game-breaking, but it has caused a number of times for me to get visibly and audibly frustrated about it. So, yeah, climbing, you've been forewarned. It's it's not super tight, but it is what it is. The other thing that I had a frustration with, and that this is the same thing, these are kind of like a two-for-one special here. Crafting new pouches and weapon upgrades. One of the things I dislike most in video games is when you have crafting mechanics and you have to go somewhere else like a workbench to craft those things. That bothers me, especially when you have to do that in this game. So similar to your Ubisoft games, especially the Far Cry games, when you're collecting a bunch of stuff around the open world, like the best example is your quiver. How many arrows can you hold? In Far Cry, you can just, while you're out in the wild, hunt a boar, hunt an ox, hunt a whatever, craft out, craft that out in the open world, and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. In this game, when you kill the animals out in the wild that you use to eventually craft that upgrade to a pouch or this or a that, you have to then hightail it back to the town to do that. However, when you're crafting arrows, you're crafting potions, or you're crafting um, new traps, you can do that wherever you are. So I can pick a tree and cut it down in Horizon Forbidden West, and I can craft arrows on the fly, but then I have to hightail it back to the town to craft a new weapon or craft an upgrade to my pouch. That's frustrating, coupled with the fact that I oftentimes can't fast travel back to places, and I have to have fast travel packs. You, so, can, you can fast travel without using a fast travel pack to certain <clears throat> hub locations, but oftentimes you have to use a fast travel pack that you have to pay for in order to fast travel. I just feel like an open world... That was in the world, first game, though. I know it wasn't. It drove me up a fucking wall. But, yeah, and that's one of my things is they almost regressed because... Or maybe I haven't found it, but in the first game, they had fast travel packs, but there was also a golden fast travel pack, which allowed you to have unlimited fast travel, which I haven't found in this game, and I don't know if it is there... Um, they also regressed on on-the-fly pouch upgrades, which used to be in your main hub anywhere. There was never upgrades at a workbench in the first one. so That just it, seems backwards to me. It For the pouches, yes, but I think it makes sense for the upgrades on your bow to do it not on-the-fly, to do it at a That's workbench. That's fair. I can, I can like live with that. The pouches, I completely agree. The like It's free to travel at a bonfire, but having to find a bonfire... Or basically pay for like twenty five shards to buy a pouch. It's um, it's annoying having coming from the first one where you had a limited midway through the game. I my, completely agree. My other frustration that kind of couples that is just navigating the world itself. So part of this stems from a just a quality of life thing I had in The Witcher Three and Assassin's Creed Valhalla and Assassin's Creed Origins. I get to press down on the control pad. And just call my horse or call my camel and I could run anywhere. If I override a charger, which is basically the equivalent of a giant ram in Horizon Forbidden West, I feel like there should be like your pet charger, like your charger that you can press down on the control pad at any given time. Once you've overridden one or at some point in the game, maybe five to 10 hours in, you have the charger for Aloy. That when you call that charger, you can go and navigate and run around the world. I understand the idea of like, no, they want you to experiment with other machines that you can override and stuff like that. But it becomes frustrating when, again, getting back to you have to pay for fast travel and 
you have to go and, you know, craft and upgrade your things in certain towns. You can't do it on the fly and you don't have a way to get back to places fast. Well, you do have a down button to call your charger if you have a charger tamed. If your charger dies in battle, then you don't have a charger and you have to grab another one. So like scrolling through that wheel where you have traps and you have potions, there is a call your charger button. And you can call your charger. How close does it have to be to you? I'm curious. It uh, teleports it to you. Really? Yeah. Within like 15 feet and just runs out of nowhere. Well, I'm I, I'm not above reproach. I stand corrected. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. So there is a button. You just have to like on your keypad scroll to the right most likely because it's not selected in the right area. Interesting. You just scroll over because you can have potions. You can have food. You can have all your traps on that. And then it's also your charger or whatever pet you have overridden you can call from anywhere Mm. so say i have a raptor that i you have to go to a cauldron get more options if it's fucking halfway across the map sorry i'm getting too enthusiastic if it's halfway across the map i immediately call it within like 15 feet of me and it runs up to me right next to me see that's something i feel like was missed because i i because it was in the first one it was the exact same mechanic i never Maybe I missed the little dialogue tree that said, hey, now that you can override things, make sure you call it to you. I, I didn't know that was you could, the thing. Yeah, you I think the hard part is like, and I haven't figured out how to get rid of things off my hot bar. It's you uh, as you accumulate more recipes, they get automatically tagged to your hot bar. So you have to scroll over more. And mm-hmm. that could have been like at the beginning of the game, it would have been between like one or two things mm-hmm. before you discover potions. It's overriding and like something else, like a trap. Okay. But yeah, the, you have that option. I can show it to you if you want. But like, yeah, just scroll over and then it has like a down arrow and a picture of your horse. Fair enough. Yeah, I just, those are some of the criticisms I have. I feel like I, I probably dwelled too much on the negative because I keep coming back to the games that I more recently experienced and said, why isn't Horizon like this, right? But if I hadn't played those games and had that kind of recency bias with uncharted and assassin's creed i feel like i'd be talking a lot more and dwelling on the positives if i was ready to play this big of an open world game following those other experiences so the long and short of it is i think horizon is a terrific follow-up to zero dawn and as ryan and i were speaking about earlier it's going to be a little um upsetting to see other games kind of overshadow it especially something the size and scope of elden ring that has been anticipated for so long but i hope come game of the year time a number of outlets are talking about forbidden west as being at the top of their game of the year list because i think it, it's it should be up there contending with the elden rings of the world yeah i definitely think so i have a few things um as far as ease of life things that they've really improved in the first game you couldn't like, if you were looting something and had too many of them in your pack, you couldn't loot them. Um, and in this game, it automatically sends it to a new thing. Like a supply or, chest. Yeah, like a supply chest, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Because you would run through a dungeon, get halfway through, and you're like, fuck, I'm full on these things. I don't want to, like, lose those resources. I'll come back and redo it. And it, that got more tedious. And this one, it's just, all right, I have too many potions. Too many arrows, too many whatever, send it, or too many berries, which is the like main healing thing. Send it right to your thing. You can uh, resupply at any kind of base or chest. I, I really like that. That is really That's, nice. 
especially when you're you're navigating these cauldrons, these dungeons, wherever it might be, and you find some of those ancient relics, which you can't use to craft, but you can use to sell for a lot of the currency. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like berries in the world. I mean, you use them enough, but you want to accumulate those for definitely the harder fights. Mm-hmm. Or if you're updating, like, I, I don't think you probably got any legendary weapons. But when you get legendary weapons, you need, like, Apex version of the monster. Some of those drops. And those fights are hard. Mm-hmm. Especially, like, I'm playing on normal. But, like, on normal, like, Apex, the T-Rex guy... He's not easy, and you're going to use a lot of berries, so having those accumulated berries built up in your storage allows for you to not have to run out and pick flowers for 30 minutes to be able to farm one piece. Mm -hmm. So I really like that. Um, There's some late-game mobility things that you get, which um, I know you're complaining about the mount, but like you almost get like a second mount that's always there, Mm -hmm. so that'll I think you'll like that a lot. Um, and then, yeah, I have the trip pass and some of the other things. As far as glitches go, um, I think my only main complaint is when I was riding around on the horse, he got stuck on a few things. Mine like, too. he would slowly, like, stop running. And I'm like, there's a fucking raptor pack behind me. And I'm like, he's just slowly galloping like we're in a show. I'm like, please, please, please. And I think he, I don't, I, I think it was just a coding error of him getting stuck on stuff or like not wanting to jump over rocks. Well, I had that happen a lot as well, where I was, so you can go into the settings and configure mount and Aloy to always default to run. Otherwise, the right, the, the left stick, you have to click in and forward for either Aloy or your mount to run. So I went into the, the settings and defaulted to them always running. But for the number of times, they would just slow down. It was almost as if I pressed a button for them to just stop and start walking. Like the mount, I'm saying. Okay, yeah. And it was like, what, bro? We- yeah, I didn't do that option. I was like, I whether it's X, I'm confusing the buttons now for Elden Ring. Um, but yeah, I would walk and then he would just, like he'd run. He'd slow down in some areas where you couldn't run, but then he would like almost just slowly walk, like even worse. And I'm like, come on, man. I'm going to die. Yeah. I don't want you to be the reason I die. I want me being stupid to be the reason I die. So uh, that was kind of the main thing. Um, There's some weird jump stuff like we already talked about that I just either died or didn't grab on. Um, I had that funny flying dude doing the splits, which was hilarious. I'm, I love some of those glitches, though. I think it makes it better. Like the Jedi Fallen Order. If I can have some dude ragdoll and spin around and go into space. Yeah. You're like, all right. Like. The Lydia No, where in Skyrim, where you get projectiled into space mm-hmm. from a giant. I love that type of shit. Um, and then the last one, I got stuck in a wall once. But what game don't you get stuck in a wall once? Yeah, I haven't had too many glitches. Like I said, some pop-ins. Uh, Aloy's eyes during certain um, conversations like start bugging out in a weird way. I saw that in one of the reviews. I never had it happen to me. I, I'm fine with it because that kind of breaks immersion. But like in the review I saw, it was like, oh, God, <laughs> like, Aloy, you, you need to go to the doctor. 
<laughs> yeah, so that's that's happened to me. It happened to me more early on in the game. Yeah. In the later game and missions, nothing like that's happened. But I'm with you. Some of those very glitchy moments definitely make for the game experience to be a little bit more fun. As long as it's not game-breaking and you don't lose a significant portion of your progress. Yeah. I had that happen to me in Valhalla at least three distinct times where I'd be walking and it was almost like someone catapulted me into the air. <laughs> yeah. You showed me that video. And I just yeah. went flying. And then eventually I just died and then fell like thousands of feet to my death. Yeah, no, I mean, at worst, I lost 30 seconds yeah. of whatever I was doing for I mean, the wall glitch. Yeah, it was 30 seconds or less. Well, and the good thing about these games nowadays is they're auto saving every time you take a step. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. So. And I'm fine with auto saving. Um, I think I made three manual saves, like one before kind of the main big mission. Mm -hmm. So if I ever wanted to go back and play them without having to go through a 30 hour game. Um, as far as the world goes compared to the first horizon, the first horizons mainly like fields and forests and like one desert area when in Meridian, but there's a lot more variety mm. in this world. Um, I mean, you're, t you're thinking out West in the United States. So you have mountains, you have, there's like swampy areas. I mean, San Francisco's beaches, uh, you had the forest and stuff like similar to the first one, but a far bigger variety in biomes, which is a lot more fun to explore. Well, not only that, but I feel like the, the machines that you see there, and I don't want to spoil any of the different types of machines and the variety in Zero Dawn compared to this game, but I feel like as the biomes and the environmental differences change, so do the machines that inhabit those environments, which makes things just feel more real. Yeah. I mean, like as you go into snowy areas, you see animal machines that you would expect to see in those type of biomes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate that kind of eye for detail. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take you out. Um, let's see. It, it's It follows kind of the same path as the first game, like more linear at the start and then open world and the world's freaking massive. Uh, which is great. And as far as how I would approach this game, um, I would probably do up until you open up like the majority of the map, like the first three fourths of the map with the far west portion being kind of locked off to you. That's how I would approach this game. Go through the main story until you get that, opens up the world, and then you can figure out how you want to approach it. Mm -hmm. um, I spent a lot of time in the first fourth, which was the more linear valley area but i almost wish i would have opened up everything before i start uh conquering stuff makes sense so as we kind of wrap up the horizon conversation and kind of get into elden ring here shortly how would you kind of summarize your experience ryan if you had to associate a number you're thinking low 90s ish yeah low to mid 90s i i think the progression of the plot um, where it's now or where it ends and where it's going and what they can do with this world. I think it really builds on the foundation of the first and all the lore associated with everything around the series. Nothing feels out of place. Like, how do I say that? Like nothing feels like you're jumping from this tribal world into a totally different genre. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I feel like based off of the established lore, it makes sense. Yeah. It's cohesive. And I would expect the characters to do what they do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is really nice. It's not jarring at all. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I really, I really had a good time. Well, good. Um, and I did too. I'm looking forward to rolling credits maybe this afternoon, this evening. Uh, you know, when Ryan and I do hop behind the mic again, whether it's in two weeks or two months, whatever it might be, I'm sure I'll come back to my kind of concluding thoughts and impressions on Horizon Forbidden West. I know I dwelled a lot of my criticisms and some of the negative aspects of the game. I would tend to look past that because a lot of that's driven because of the games that I played leading into this experience. And that just had impacts on the way I played it and the way I thought about it. And I think some of that's just not really fair uh, for the purposes of kind of explaining the actual experience that you might have if you play it pretty fresh. So keep that in mind with some of the things I said. I would dwell towards more of the positive that Ryan said. But as Ryan did say, and I want to highlight and remind people that if you've not played Zero Dawn, I would definitely consider playing that first before going into Forbidden West and also checking out the uh, the Frozen Wilds DLC for that. Because once I kind of really get ready to go back into and explore everything Forbidden West has to offer many months down the road, I never completed the Frozen Wilds DLC, so I'm sure I'll go back and complete that as well. Yeah, and there's some good lore that kind of plays into the second game. Um, that you get you get some new monsters in that DLC. So, um, and I think you meet a new tribe, which is always a fun experience. Definitely worth playing. Um, so yeah, Horizon Zero Dawn or Horizon Forbidden Wests. Uh, go out and play it if you haven't. It's a good time. Yeah, and, and uh, check in the check out the Discord. Pop in there. Click that little link in the show notes. I'd love to hear others' thoughts uh, about Forbidden West. Yeah, carry See on the there. discussion. Ryan, we're at that point in the podcast episode that many listeners may have been anticipating. All right. This is a game that was undoubtedly your most anticipated game coming into this year. For the last two years, actually. <laughs> it's true. And if the listeners will recall, if you've been a longtime listener, last summer, I believe, maybe it was E3, maybe it was another conference, there was like a 10 minute Elden Ring trailer. And when the cicadas were buzzing, and it was brutally hot here in the game room. You spent a good hour walking the listeners through frame by frame, dissecting that trailer and all of the hidden lore that was baked into that 10 minute video. So I'm sure the listeners want to hear the follow up to that, hearing your first impressions of FromSoft's latest release 
and Elden Ring. Yeah, we're we're at an hour and a half right now, so uh, I have ten pages of notes prepared. So oh, we're at the maybe one third mark <laughs> of this episode. <laughs> well, fortunately for the listeners, I actually have some questions to keep Ryan grounded in reality that hopefully kind of steer this ship in the right direction. Good call, if you will. Good call. So let's go ahead and kick off with this first question I have for you, which is. What were the few things you were most anticipating or hoping to see in the game outside of anything that we saw in the trailers? You know, you are a seasoned veteran as it relates to the Souls games. You've played Bloodborne. You've Platinum Dark Souls 1 Remastered. You've Platinum Dark Souls 3. You've Platinum Dark Souls 2 on PS3, PS4, (laughs) and PS5. And gotten all the Steam achievements because you love it that much. Dude, the best. And you've beaten Sekiro. So you are... A Dark Souls super fan. I would almost go simp, but yeah. yes. So what were you looking forward to most coming into this game outside of things you already kind of had spoiled for you in the trailers? And again, similar to Forbidden West, we're staying away from spoilers during this discussion. I, I think the biggest thing, I mean, besides, I think Dark Souls 1 was the most open world that we've seen in the Dark Souls so far. Um, you can go to a lot of different areas right off the bat with the kind of the first main objective ringing two bells. But you can go to a lot more areas. Um, and seeing, I mean, I think they described it as our take on open world. I'm mm-hmm. um, seeing how far that goes and how, like the boundaries of that open world. I was really excited to see how big the world is. Mm-hmm. And I, I was blown away by the verticality of some of these environments. Um, there's some structures in the worlds where I think of like Markarth in Skyrim, which is the Dorvan city. And then I look at their take into like kind of a rock based <coughs> structure. And you're like, fuck, <laughs> like, I don't know how Elder Scrolls six or whatever's next is going to be able to compete with the, the sheer magnitude of some of these environments. Like you're looking at in mountains that rival the Greybeard's Mountain, like all around the world. Wow! So you're like, okay, I can get up there. It's just let's find a course or a path to get up there. Um, you know, Miyazaki's always going to have a swamp. Mm-hmm. Like I think one of his comments is like, I don't try to do swamps, but then I start making stuff, and then all of a sudden it's a swamp. And you're <laughs> like, all right, fuck, there's a swamp. So, you know, that's going to be in there. And then you've seen like the trailers where it's kind of that grasslands where you kind of open up into the open world. Um, But seeing the other things in the other environments, like the first half of the world, I'd almost say I I don't have visibility to any of it. I've Mm -hmm. opened up four biomes right now. Okay. Um, And there's a drastic difference between all four of them. Um, So, yeah, I think the approach is the main thing I was interested in. I kind of expected Dark Souls, um, a feel to combat to be pretty much the same. There's some differences in kind of the weapon arts, the the customization of weapons, which I haven't even explored. So I have no idea even how that works. Because mm-hmm. um, right now, I started out as a naked dude. A wretch. A wretch, yes. And I was convinced of that through a video basically saying the only time you'll ever experience like a non-build uh, character without knowing like uh, item locations in the world is basically on your first playthrough. So I'm like, I want to start with nothing. Like as Drake said, 
you started from the bottom. Now we're here. And mm-hmm. now here for me is I have a staff. I've got like a glowing sword. Like I'm someone now and you can slowly work up your power. And it's a, it's a lot of fun to make that progression. Because like the first two hours of my playthrough was one 30 minutes of playtime just messing around with my face mm-hmm. to make. I think I named myself the first lord. Because nice. I want to make sure one, it's my first playthrough becoming a lord. And two, I know it's my first playthrough or character. But then, like, the rest of my hour and a half that I played the night of launch was just running around the world mm-hmm. trying to figure out how I get close because I was naked. Yeah. Um. So, I, it's, I've had a good amount of – or I've had a, man, a, a good amount of time invested in my first character, first mm-hmm. playthrough, and I'm really surprised on how – yeah, just really the scale. I think that's the biggest shock. Okay. Well, so you, yeah, you, you've talked quite a bit about the size, the magnitude of the world in some of these environments, Dark Souls open world. A lot of people have described this game as, you know, what you'd get if you put Dark Souls and Breath of the Wild into a blender, you get an Elden, Elden Ring smoothie. Yeah. Is that a fair comparison between those two games? And I guess what elements stand out the most in both Breath of the Wild and Dark Souls that you've seen so far? Um, yeah, I think the, so in Breath of the Wild, you have those towers that you climb up to kind of light up the map. Mm-hmm. And it's similar in Elden Ring as well. They take that approach um, where you go into a new environment. You have a s- couple like bonfires or waypoints or whatever um, that you unlock. And then on the map, it ends up showing where that little lighthouse is that you can find a map piece. So it's very similar in the ways that you kind of unlock your ability to see the map as a whole. Um, and then within that, I can't remember Breath of the Wild if they actually show all of the, I don't think they do, like all of the dungeons and things on the map when you unlock them. You have to run around the map and find them. Okay. And it's a very similar approach to the map. And it, it's on purpose, but I'm like, I'm looking for dungeons in every sidewall because they're not easy to find, mm-hmm. but they're there. It's just finding them. Um, and then some of the bigger dungeons have like a, a structure where it sends you on a shaft down into whatever's below. Some dungeon thing. Yeah. And I found two of those kind of like you have the nor- more normal kind of dungeons that you would say in like a stereotypical open world, like a Skyrim type dungeon, uh, more linear. And then you have the two the two ones that I found gigantic dungeons where it's like, holy, it's the size is unreal. Yeah. Like one of the most beautiful environments is in the dungeon that you find in the first biome. Mm-hmm. And it's, oh my gosh, it just do. I would suggest like my first eight hours on my character. I think I gained eight levels in eight hours. Whoa. Which is to me like nothing. <laughs> That's nothing. Like, yeah, in the first like 15 minutes of Dark Souls 3, I'm level 15. I yeah, I'm level 8 cuz you as a wretch I think you started as level 1, so I was literally I gained 7 levels I guess to get to level 8. I was just running around the map seeing like what wants to kill me, mm-hmm. like trying to open up waystones if I wanted to go there. You're going to like this. There's free teleports. You don't have to buy a thing to get into other Hell waystones. Yeah. What's up? Um I was surprised how much this world wanted to kill me. Like, I I got to some areas where I was like, oh, shit. And then I'm like, I thought that was a boss from a different area. 
There's two of them. Wait, fuck, there's five of them. Why does it have a mother? Fuck, nope, nope, nope. And I'm just like on my horse, just getting the hell out of there. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, it's the scale of some of these environments that are then, I guess, amplified by some of the structures, the monsters, and the variety of monsters are great. So similar to Breath of the Wild, then, there are many instances, uh, perhaps almost an overwhelming sense of instances where you quickly stumble into an area and you're like, my character is nowhere near leveled enough to be able to take on some of these just out in the wild monsters, not even bosses, just out in the wild stuff. Yeah, no, that's definitely it. So like the first biome, which is right as you get out as a main or your character, you open up, there's like that valley and there's that like horse dude with the golden armor, Mm -hmm. like is shown in the trailer. Um, That's your starting area. And then if you branch out into the one to the right, the one to the south, or the one to the north, you're going to quickly find, if you're going up against enemies with a level one or even just a normal weapon, you're not going to do a ton of damage. Mm -hmm. So it's up to you to kind of explore. Like the cool thing about a wretch is I started out with a club and I'm like, the moveset's crappy. I do zero damage. I'm going to kill some knights. Picked up a sword. Did a lot more damage. I'm like, I need some armor. So I went exploring. And you're slowly picking up weapons until I'm like, I kind of want to do a magic build. Mm-hmm. I, I was exploring up north and I found like this crystal sword that scaled based off of magic. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's right up my alley. And then I hit a guy that I hit in the beginning for maybe 100 damage. And I was doing 200 damage. And I'm like, I'm making some hella upgrades right now. And it's the exploration that allows you to quickly increase your character. Um, You can find more endgame items scattered around as you branch out. More so to the right and to the north of your uh, starting area. That's where you start seeing like, I'm underleveled or underskilled. And then you get to... So, like, around the main world, there's kind of, I would say mini-bosses, because they're sa- they're bosses that you're expected to be able to do at that level mm-hmm. with, like, a reasonable challenge. Um, and then I was watching Pete play. Um, Pete basically streamed the entire day. And we went after, after one of the guys who was in the trailer. It was that dude who kind of fell down from that big castle mm. in the thing of smoke. Yeah. And he was throwing, like, energy daggers at you um margit the fell omen i think his name is you could have made some shit up no yeah that, that's difference. his name yeah. uh so pete was playing against him and he was level 17 and he i think i watched him for four hours throw a hundred deaths at this guy oh my gosh <laughs> like he streamed for like he ended the stream at like eight hours and our playtime was about the same wow but he for a majority of that stream was like trying to beat this guy and he had like a plus one weapon so he upgraded it once he didn't really have any stat i mean he's level 17 so it's pretty early in the game and at level 18 i got to maybe three or four more hits from beating him and he was getting like halfway and Mm -hmm. i look at my weapon i was plus two one more level which didn't really do anything um I threw maybe 25 deaths and enjoyed every second of it. Like mm-hmm. those, it's a fun boss. It's kind of a mixture of 
Sekiro's Owl, um, which like the big open swings and kind of the in uh, Sekiro, he throws like ninja stars, but in this one, he throws swords. Um, he's got like a smo type hammer. Um, so you got kind of that slower attack. It, it's a really fun kind of dance fight, which is the best fights, I think, in the Souls series with like Lady Maria or Gale mm-hmm. in Bloodborne and Dark Souls, respectively. So it, it's a really fun fight. But what I ended up doing was like there's I I could beat him if I threw four more hours, but that's not going to be fun. Because he's a mid-level boss, not like the ones you find out in the main world. Went out, found... I got teleported to some mine because I opened the wrong chest. And I I was like, these guys are mining stuff. They have like glowy picks. Maybe I can kill some to get some upgrade things. Got the correct upgrade stone, upgraded my sword, and beat the, the boss. Okay, nice. Um, so... I think the exploration is going to be the huge thing to curve some of the major challenges in this. Um, I mean, the boss is no, it's not easy, but you, it definitely helps curve for the newer players. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I I think it's a good challenge. And I mean, similar to Dark Souls three, you have the main kind of four bosses. um, The, I'm for blanking. You don't need to name drop any boss names. It's all fine. Like the Abyss Watchers, um, like the Giant, um, the Prince. Like you have the main bosses you need to beat and you're like, those are supposed to be the main challenges. That guy is leading up to one of those main bosses. So Mm -hmm. you expect those to be the hardest challenges in the game. Yeah. So like if you go in there early, you're going to get fucked. But if you start exploring, killing other bosses, and slowly leveling up, mm-hmm. then you're going to be fine. Okay. Okay. Good stuff. Well, this next question I have has a little bit of trivia behind it. We always talk about Otaku Brothers being an educational program. Yes. And for those that are completely unfamiliar with Elden Ring or not, did not follow the development cycle very closely, you may be surprised by this little uh, this little fact here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from a little script here. Elden Ring is directed by Miyazaki, as you kind of already mentioned earlier. With a with world building by fantasy novelist George R. R. Martin, best known for his A Song of Ice and Fire novel series. A fan of Martin's work, Miyazaki contacted him with an offer to work together on a project, giving him the creative freedom to write the overarching backstory of the game's universe. Miyazaki used his contributions as the foundation of the game's narrative, comparing the process of that to using a quote, Dungeons Master Handbook in a tabletop RPG to pen the rest of the story and lore. So I know you haven't read the Game of Thrones books. You've seen the show. Is that influence more apparent than the already medieval dark fantasy nature of early Dark Souls games? Do you see the influence of Game of Thrones and Martin having his hand in this yet? Or does it just seem like more Miyazaki? No, I mean, the Dark Souls games as a whole... Like, you have the Dark Souls with the, like, lighting the flame, keeping the world alive. Um, Bloodborne, I don't know if it falls into it, but Sekiro as well. Uh, A lot of the overarching kind of narrative is, like, the repercussions of death and trying to stay alive forever. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, keeping the flame alive and keeping the world alive. Like, as things die, you have in Sekiro people trying to look... 
that they're all trying to search for eternal life to either keep their kingdom alive. You have the monks who try to find uh, everlasting life through ingesting worms and being like parasitic leeches. That tends to, to not get work eternally. Yeah, I mean, if you try to do that, doctors are going to kind of bat their eyes at you nowadays. But yeah, I think the they change up the approach instead of lighting the flames or keeping the flame alive to keep off the age of darkness. This one is you have kind of this central power, which is the Elden Ring, which kind of powers everything. Um, it's kind of suggested that the Erd tree, that kind of giant uh, tree, kind of feeds off the power of the Elden Ring. And I'm not sure how yet how that feeds into the overall narrative, um, but it's a more fantasy-based um, and I, I'm sure with Miyazaki, they're go- he's going to address like trying to stay alive forever and keeping the flavor alive and the repercussions of death. But how that plays into their narrative right now, I'm not sure. Little do we know, George R. R. Martin is actually the final boss, just chucking a song on a Ice and Fire books. Yeah, really, it's George R. R. Martin trying to stave alive forever to write the books because <laughs> he knows he's his his demise is quickly. Uh, coming and he needs to light that flame so yeah i think he made an announcement i never read into it but there was some announcement about something i think it was that he actually finished the next chapter but there's 27 chapters to go so oh, fuck all right we'll see maybe maybe he needs a worm i think <laughs> to re- keep him alive forever. <laughs> i think the release of his next book will coincide with uh elder scrolls 6 coming out probably shit. yeah about 10 years from now so anyways ryan my final question for you, and I, you know, if you have other impressions, thoughts, and things, I want you to absolutely share those. I ask this anytime a new Monster Hunter game releases because you are the super fan, the point person that is most well versed in that universe, more so than anyone I know that I'm closely uh, synced up with. So, for the Soulsborne series of things, decent jumping on point for people that have never played or maybe have played in the past, but just the games didn't click for them. It's far better than Sekiro uh, because you got to like the first, like a second mini boss and you're like, ha ha, wasted 60 bucks. Yeah. Um, Far more than Sekiro. um, Bloodborne, Dark Souls, they're very linear. Uh, Bloodborne is more fast paced and you're going for the themes of Lovecraftian kind of feel to it. If you're going for a pure, more linear game, you're going to Dark Souls. But... With like the, that medieval dragon feel. And this one, if you like open worlds, you're going to have a ton to explore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with that comes the ability to kind of stave off some of the spikes in difficulty that you get in Dark Souls. Um, I could see that boss that Pete was going against as a wall, but there's a lot of ways to counteract that difficulty. Um you have summons now. I didn't like the summons, or at least the one I had. Like, I had a pack of three wolves, but I found him getting in the way where I couldn't see the boss's moves, where mm. Pete got halfway down to the boss using those wolves, and he really liked that approach. Mm, okay. So, there's tons of different summons. Like, there's a jellyfish you can get by talking to this woman three times um, that is super effective to him. So, there's a lot of ways to customize where kind of bringing in your own allies through summons and then right outside of most bosses from what I hear, or at least the higher tier bosses like him, there's like a NPC summon that you can summon. Mm-hmm. So 
if you want to go more or less as an with an army into these fights, I think the accessibility to not run up against those walls, or at least the game tries to give you a ladder to climb over those walls, along with pushing you to say, hey, the combat's still going to be hard. Like, you still have to dodge stuff. Yeah. Um, but it will give you at least more cannon fodder for mm-hmm. the boss to go after if you want to just either range or mage from afar as your minions go in and attack. Um, we'll give you more tools in your tool bet- belt to approach. Um, and then we'll also give you this vast open world to either find endgame weapons, weapons that are more powerful, more suited, and more ways to customize those weapons through like art like art of war kind of things that you can attach to the weapons mm-hmm. to make those even more customizable and powerful. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. I like the idea of it having a lot more player freedom because Dark Souls, you mentioned Sekiro with that one, not even, I wouldn't consider him boss, that really stopped me from moving forward and wanting to play the game. Just yeah, the giant troll ab- guy. Absurdly frustrating. I like the idea that there's more accessibility options, but also just more ways to, as you were saying, curve the difficulty by like basically use the world to your advantage because there's a lot there in terms of weapons, armor sets, ways to just, I would assume, grind a bit to kind of propel yourself forward a little bit more. And anyone who's suggesting or is looking for a place to grind, there is the biome to the right of like the starting area off like all the way to the right on the peninsula there's a save point those enemies drop like a thousand each oh so early game levels i think the start per level is about 600 and you can make a route around there that gets you seventeen thousand per trip in like four minutes so like there is there are places early game if you explore to get you quick souls if that's how you want to approach it um i really liked exploring and one thing that i want to suggest that I made this mistake, so I have to rerun around the map. Is golden seeds are kind of the way that you get more Estus flasks in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, and Estus flasks, for those unfamiliar with the series, are ways to use basically potions. Yeah, they're your potions that can regenerate every time you go to a bonfire. Mm-hmm. So you have, I mean, they're not like a limited resource. You get, you I think you start out with three. There's a starting golden seed, which gives you another one right off the bat. So you can start out with, I think, four or five. And then around the world, there's these tiny glowing trees. And underneath them, there's always an item. And you can find them in every biome. There's a ton of them. I just, I was like, oh, those are pretty. And I ran past them. And I was like, going back, I finally figured out that under every one of those trees is a golden seed to increase your Estus flasks. Oh, wow. Okay. So if you explore the world, you're going to find quickly that you can get 10 Estus flasks within the first couple areas just by going up to these trees, picking up that item. Okay. So like going into that boss, I think uh, Pete had maybe five or six. I ran in with eight Mm because I was just running around the map and that's missing probably six or seven around the map. So Mm -hmm. there are ways to quickly improve your uh, optics when it comes to some of these bosses and the environments and then as you level up it gets a little bit easier okay good stuff well i'm super excited to finally delve into the game Uh, i've been holding kind of holding off because i wanted to focus on horizon forbidden west and getting as far as i can i've played like 30 minutes so i've literally created my character open gotten into the open world and then i killed a few dudes and i've walked down some stairs and now i'm kind of I, I assume 
getting into some type of dungeon. So for all intents and purposes, I haven't even played it yet. Once I play, I'm going to try and finish Horizon Forbidden West later today. If I still still have the itch to play games, maybe I'll play a little bit more Elden Ring. But uh, where are you at overall impressions-wise? Is this like absolute game of the year contender, exceeded my expectations, met them, one of the greatest games I've played of all time? Yeah, I mean, I was worried. I mean, the reviews were amazing going in at 10 of the 10. And then you hear like there's some technical glitches on or like some like I watch ACG and Skill Up are the main kind of people I listen to for more unbiased or like more technical approach to the reviews opposed to like GameStop or not GameStop, Game Informer Informer and mm-hmm. those kind of things. Well, I don't mean to interrupt you. One thing I will say, Daniel Tack is the um, the kind of the editor guy over at Game Informer. He is like you when it comes to Souls games. Super fan, knows all of the hidden backstory and lore. You might disagree with this. He gave notoriously Dark Souls 2 9.75, but I think he gave Bloodborne a 9.5. He's historically reviewed these games very well because he loves everything Yeah, Dark Souls. Well, I was going in for more like, at least ACG is the the most technical review or most unbiased maybe uh, unbiased yeah. yeah and then immediately after or maybe the next day when the patch launched for them he did a count like a second review follow-up saying like hey i've had more issues and stutters and overall i i don't think i've really had any issues there's some pop in for grass in like a giant plane in that main area um i think i had lag once in like a five on five brawl between knights and goblins Mm -hmm. like there's a shit ton of stuff on screen makes sense at that point yeah and i'm like yeah you're you have the entire visible world loaded plus all of these npcs and that's not even talking about the ones off a little bit a, a little ways away so overall i mean technically i've yeah it, it's good um yeah, it's it's fantastic. I I can't wait to explore more, figure out builds. Like I'm I think I mentioned early on maybe a year plus ago in one of these podcasts that my my enjoyment for Dark Souls 3 was rejuvenated when I played a magic sword build mm-hmm. where you have left hand, uh, you have a staff and you can do magic and right hand you have a sword. And that's how I'm playing this one and I'm I'm having a blast. Good stuff. Um, well, I'm glad to hear that it's really met and in some cases exceeded your expectations because it would have been pretty depressing if we came to this game and it bombed on reviews and didn't meet because I mean this game had everything going against it because it was the most anticipated game two years running for the game awards with yeah. George R. R. Martin's name tied behind it and them saying like we're taking the Dark Souls formula and going to an open world. Those are lofty expectations to me. Plus, meet. you have to live up to everything beforehand. Like, besides Dark Souls 2, they have amazing games. <laughs> You're really just ruffling the feathers of Dark Souls 2 fans out there. I, I hated Dark Souls. They went with quantity over quality, and there was no weight behind the combat. Like, at least with Dark Souls 1, when you hit something, you could actually feel the hit being registered. It felt like you're cutting through butter, regardless of what you're touching. Well, I don't think Miyazaki's name was tied to Dark Souls. It too. wasn't. It was a totally di- it like doesn't even fall really into the main story of Dark Souls Three, and that's it. He was working on Bloodborne and Dark Souls Three. I'm much happier to have gotten a shit Dark Souls and Dark Souls Two, and have gotten the masterpiece that is Bloodborne mm-hmm. as my first interaction. So, like, 
I'll deal with it. But like you'll let it slide this time. Yeah, we'll allow it, Miyazaki. But get your shit together. <laughs> um, but Elden Ring, I think they they brought home. They live up to the expectations on all of those points. Good stuff. Well, Ryan, I cannot wait to hear how your impressions continue to evolve with this game. I have no doubt in my mind it'll probably be your game of the year, and I imagine you'll be playing this probably through the end of the year, even after credits roll, experimenting with all kinds of different builds. So more impressions to come for all of the good listeners out there. I think that's about a wrap for the episode. What do you think? Yeah, I'm fine with that. Um, Yeah, I'm fine with that. Okay. Not to extend or like go into long-winded. Well, I mean, next time I record, I will obviously have more opinions. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, go out and play Elden Ring if you haven't already. I I get, I mean, for you coming off of what, three open open worlds, I think Elden Ring is something that you push back on because the world, I mean, compared to Horizon, it's almost overwhelming Mm -hmm. to the scale of it. Um, Like Friday or Saturday night, I had played like all day with Pete. And I'm like, I don't want to get burnt out on this game. Because yeah. running around this world is massive. So I went back to Horizon, knocked out some like side quests to try to get some trophies. Because I realized I only have eight Platinums and I want Elden Ring to be ten. So I have to Platinum Horizon, which was my first, as the second one is my ninth. Um, so I'm knocking out trophies on there. And I'm like being able to change it up a bit. But yeah, I would say beat horizon punt elden ring for mm-hmm. down the road like june or july or what yeah. after kirby or some of those smaller games yeah yeah absolutely all righty well good stuff hopefully everyone got a, a decent idea uh of our general impressions with both forbidden west elden ring two of the hottest <laughs> releases in quite some time again ryan will have more impressions of elden ring in the future as will i and i'll probably have concluding thoughts on forbidden west in an episode down the road when i hop behind the mic again but thank you everyone so much for tuning into this episode as we said our release schedule is going to be a little bit up in the air in future weeks and months but There will definitely be more Otaku Brothers episode in the near future, so fear not about that. As we come to the close of any Otaku Brothers episode, whether you are a new listener or you are someone who's been listening for quite some time, we always have to close things out by me tossing things over to my co-host to say, Ryan, do you have any parting words or fun facts for our listeners? Yeah, I was gonna. I was looking up interesting facts about like the the rods of God, which are like this cool like space weapon. Uh, that like you say the rods of god rods of god rods so of it's god. like okay. a tungsten rod shot with velocity and like all the damage is done with kinetic energy but i thought that would be stupid so i i found out that elephants can't jump because basically their legs are not built to deal with that amount of weight impact and their feet the actual bone in the like foot of the elephant the front toe is the only bone part the rest is mainly fat so, like, they would just buckle if they tried to jump. Interesting. Yeah. Also, like, that much weight getting off the ground seems improbable. Yeah, and I don't think they have any, like, main direct uh, predators except for humans. Yeah. So, like, I don't see why. I don't, like, Dumbo hopping around. He can fly, so maybe <laughs> that's a moot point. <laughs> maybe that may be more detrimental to his legs. <laughs> like, adult Dumbo just fucking buckling <laughs> in the circus. Um, but, yeah. 
Elephants can't jump, apparently. They can fly, though. Yeah, they can, they can fly. fly. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much once again for listening. If you have any questions for Ryan and I for a future episode or questions for Lauren and Ryan, you can ask them anything you want, keeping it somewhat appropriate. All right. Try and find a way to do that. You can write those into Otaku Brothers Podcast at gmail.com. Okay. And we look forward to putting out more episodes in the near future. But until then, you keep playing. Every single person out there still listening, the greatest, best video games out there. Stay healthy, and we will see you very soon. See ya. Am I the one to hold this crown of ash and salt? Their kindness calls to me. I have to block it out. My voice has grown so somber. These words don't seem like mine, but the iron won't subside. No matter, no matter what I try